Hello and welcome to the first ever, the inaugural Federation of Bloodstock Agents of Australia podcast. Well, we've got a working title at the moment. It's called The Shortlist. That's what we're going to go with. But we might, look, I might get overruled in the, in the coming uh, episodes by uh, the members of the Federation who will join us to discuss all things in the bloodstock world, both locally here in Australia and internationally. Today, I'm privileged to be joined by the President of the FBAA, Craig Roundsfield. Craig, how are you? Good, Shaggy. How are you doing? Very, very well. And the Treasurer as well, the man in just responsible for all the, all the fees, all the dollar counting, everything else. Who else would you put your money in the hands of than Louis Lemaitre? How are you, my friend? Good, Mick. Very good. Thanks for having us. Gentlemen, uh, I think it's important and a, a great move forward from the Federation to start this podcast, to start to reach out and have a voice in the industry. So often we see the bloodstock agents mentioned in articles about being involved with a purchase or about being involved in stud deals. But in terms of a collective having a voice that can influence decision-making and, and basically put concepts and ideas forward about ways we can improve uh, the thoroughbred industry here in Australia and, and more widely on a global scale, it's probably about time, I think. So well done to the Federation for, for stepping in that direction. We hope this podcast can, can go a long way to shaping some discussion. But before we get into some of the bloodstock issues that we want to talk about this week, Craig, can you just talk us through what the FBAA does? How was it formed? When was it formed? Why was it formed? It was set up uh, about 32 years ago. There was um, a group of agents at the time that uh, felt like that, that needed a collective to have that voice and, and get together. And at that time, it was probably more of a club situation. Um, but there, as time's developed, it's, it's grown and, and you know, reputable agents have been involved and those that um, you know, focus on day-to-day their businesses, buying and selling horses and consulting clients have got together as a group to give them a voice within the industry. I think there's a, a lot more that bloodstock agents do that probably extends beyond just auction day, putting your hand up, doing rounds for people, for clients, that sort of thing. There's As well as buying and selling, there's that management aspect as well, isn't there? There's For those that get involved in the breeding side of things, there's planning matings, going and seeing stallions, going and seeing client stock, doing those assessments. Well, the business is, is obviously, uh, it's grown in Australia and it's become a huge dollar business now with uh, a lot at stake for a lot of people, um, their livelihood and and uh, a lot of professional setups now. So people are like you do in other industries, you seek advice from those professionals that um, you know have experience and a track record for success. And I think that's uh, you know a point where the FBAA stands out where you know whether, whether it's stud farms, trainers or uh, owners seek out that advice and uh, you know, use our services. And Louis, there's, uh, you can see the change in Australia. Uh, you can, you've both got extensive international experience, so you can talk to that as well if you like. But you can see there's a bit of a drop in the average age of the blood stock agent in Australia, isn't there? The last sort of five to ten years, a lot more new blood. I guess the older statesmen have kind of brought on those apprentices, taught people, pulled them through the ranks. And now we're seeing younger agents getting great success not only in the sales ring, you know, buying horses for, for good clients and everything else, but those horses going on and performing on the racetrack. So there's more and more emphasis, I think, on on that that youth aspect within the bloodstock agent sort of sphere in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's become it's definitely become a a, a younger person's uh, game, um, particularly 
because it involves so much travel and it's a, it's a very demanding job. And um, Craig spends a few months of the year in America. I mean, pre-COVID, I used to spend three months of the year in Europe. So it's very demanding and taxing. And, and when you grow your business, because it's a global... I think we all have to become global thinkers because it's a global industry. And the big difference between the younger generation and then the older is that we've spent a lot of time abroad overseas and, and we've sort of learned from uh, from various experts throughout the industry. And, um, yeah, so it's it's uh, definitely becoming a, a more international game as well. Look, it is a taxing job and you only have to look as far as someone like Johnny McKeever you know, he's only 40 years old. And look at the impact that, uh, <laughs> you know, 10 years in Bloodstock's had on him. Now we love Johnny. He's out and about. He's getting it done. Don't worry about that. Bloodstock agents, here's a bit of a layman's qu- uh, question for those that might be listening that don't know. They have to be registered. Is that sort of why the FBAA is there to provide that sort of framework for conduct, I guess you could say, about how Bloodstock agents operate? Would that be a fair way to describe it? What we want is is the with the new restructure is to to set um, the best operators together and 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 just have a, and use it as a benchmark and um, and and work collectively as well and and trying to there was a time where amongst blocks occasions we were a little bit all uh, strange to each other. We want to bring us tighter. We want to work collectively. We want to work together. We want to raise the bar. We want to increase the transparency because I think it's a thing of the times. And um, and we want to work together, and we also want to have a voice in the industry because there are things that are you know the industry can be uh, in the media for good and bad reason, and we want to promote the good about the industry. That transparency is really important, Louis, and I guess that's why Craig, we've gone into that restructure and the administrative changes behind the scenes. Can you talk us through a couple of changes that the FBA have made? It's something that um, was it's been close to my heart for a long time. Yeah, that um, you know bringing the FBA up to best practice in the world in, in terms of bloodstock agencies and uh, last year with COVID provide the opportunity um, you know that something like this t- demands um, you know significant amount of time and effort and research to, uh, to to get the best result and I was able to I got three months last year I couldn't travel to America and uh, I put that in and and did significant consultation with uh, a lot of industry uh, experts and uh, both on the sides of, of studs, administration, bloodstock, and then uh, looked at different industries, both in Australia and around the world, to develop um, what we believe is best practice for a code of ethics and also um, updating our membership criteria to bring it back to you know, what the FBA was originally set up for, which is uh, independent bloodstock agents that are based in Australia. With their public-facing role is an independent agent. So there was... A couple of elements there, and also, you know, the, the the average consumer these days they demand a higher level of transparency and uh, information. So, you know, I felt it was, and the, and you could see through the vote that the membership to get this across the line was strongly in favour of it. That we, they agreed that um, you know we had to raise the bar, and that uh, you know the policies we put in place are best practice of any bloodstock association in the world. In terms of disclosure, we've got a proper process in place if there's any dispute with an FBA member. And, uh, you know, I think it sets us apart from those out there operating in the industry that aren't members. And we're going to have plenty of members on site here at Inglis over the coming days ahead of the the Premier sale. Louis, this is the next sale in what's been a, a booming sales season. 
so far, starting at the Gold Coast when averages went up and we're all kind of COVID cautious, I guess you could say, going into that. There was positivity around. but No one really knew how it was going to play out. Yeah, the Magic Millions was, was just mind-boggling for a lot of us. Everyone was expecting, I mean, even the leaders in the, in the industry were expecting a downturn of 10%, not an increase of 5 So we were really, I was taken by surprise. I was expecting to buy five horses. I only got managed to buy three um, because, um, look, I've, I've only got in one list is the horses that I want to own myself or not. So I don't have a B list, so I just missed out most of the time mm-hmm. and then end up only with three. But it's great to see the market. It's great to see how the industry has really bounced through COVID and has set, and there's a lot of reason for that. There's a lot of reason why there's so much money out there in the in the in the economy. Um, first, there's like um, twenty. The household saving is at a record mm-hmm. high. Um, money is cheap. Pre-COVID, there was eight hundred thousand people leaving the country um, every month. Now there's only nine thousand. So there's a lot of money that stays in, in the economy, stays in Australia. There's plenty of government money, as I said. And I just think whilst Racing is becoming a little bit more mainstream during lockdown. Like it was the only sport going around. I think people have taken to 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 betting a bit more and have followed the sport closely. And as as a consequence, the the, the horse industry has risen in popularity, and um, and we're seeing it through the through the yearning sales, which is great. I reckon a lot of people that were probably on the fence in regard to horse ownership as well during 2020 had that moment and that time to pause and reevaluate. <sighs> always wanted to do this and whatever this might be you know for them those people that were probably sitting on the fence to get involved in the sport have probably taken that leap as well i know anecdotally a lot of mates that have always wanted to get into racing and buying their five and ten percent shares are you guys seeing that as well on the ground yeah absolutely what we've noticed is uh, some syndicators or trainers sometimes can take an entire year to 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 sell all their stock Mm. and then you just saw late last year in 2020, like trainers were buying horses overseas and were buying yearlings at the breeze ups. And you could sense that there was enormous dynamic in the market late last year in 2020. And then and it's just rolled on this year in, at Magic Millions. So yeah, it's really positive. It's just made horses a bit dearer, but the carrots keeps getting bigger at the same time, which is great because you've got, yesterday it was announced that Racing New South Wales is putting an extra $20 million throughout, the, um, throughout New, South Wales, New South Wales, which is which is brilliant because I think those those big carrots want encourage people to participate even more. We've had other sales going on around the world in America and Europe. Have we seen the same buoyancy in those markets as well? No, those markets have actually been pulled back over the last twelve months. So Australia is really the only one that's gone forward, which is um, you know a massive uh, vote of confidence for the industry here. But it's no, uh, it's no surprise given the, the value of Colts going to stud, you know, how active Hong Kong is in buying horses here and then the, the continuation of prize money. It's, um, you know, it's, the participation here is at record highs through, uh, you know, mum and dad investors and I think you're only going to see that increase now that, um, you know, it's coming to, coming to fruition here at the sales. You know, there's a lot more participation. I think the online auctions... The yeah. past 12 months have flushed out a lot of people that have been on the sidelines that, that haven't known how to get in the industry and they've sort of dipped their toe in and now they're uh, jumping right in. So uh, I think it's it bodes well for the rest of the year. We'll definitely pick apart the online auction aspect of, of the buying and selling of horses in another episode because I'm really keen to hear what the association thinks about 
that side of things because there was, there was this school of thought that it was going to take uh, work away from, from blood stock agents. But we'll save that for another show. I think you can spend half an hour on that. What about this sale, the English Premier sale? Let's have a, a little bit of a preview. What sort of first season sire appetite do you think there's going to be in this market? Do you think it'll be as strong as it has been in, in previous sales this year? Yeah, I think it will. I think um, other markets are very time-driven these days. Um, the the Blaskasians, the trainers, they just want to buy the best physical athlete. And, and I think the, the stallion is probably not the forefront of of this market, where Easter is very driven towards proven stallion. I think this market is just an open market where people want to buy an athlete. I think that's a, a good point to touch on as well. Throughout the Australian sales season, there are different types of horses that fall better into different sales, aren't there, Craig? Like, obviously, Gold Coast, with the, the massive carrot of the two-year-old classic, tends to have more sharper early horses. And then you work through you know, to your budget sales where you're playing within a certain range towards Easter as as Louis mentioned, is your premium product. There's a, there's a hot, there's opportunity for everyone across the Australian sales calendar, isn't there? Yeah, and there's always opportunities at different sales. You know, for example, at Magic Millions, there is a huge emphasis on that two-year-old type, so those horses make a premium, but horses that, say, need time, they come one way under value. And you know, I think at, at this sort of sale, people are more forgiving on horses that are going to be three-year-olds. They come here with that in mind and... Uh, you know, I think this is a, a great sale. There's, you know, there's a lot of great graduates that have come out of this sale in the last few years and it's, uh, it continues to produce top racehorses. So I, I think people are getting confidence through that. The classic sale is another great example of uh, you know, a sale that continues to overperform on the racetrack. So I think uh, you know, the buying bench now, you know, as, as Bloodstock agents, we focus in on that, on, on where the good horses are coming from. We, we do a lot of statistical analysis to see where these horses are coming from and then, you know, focus our views going forward on that. Time's come up a couple of times during this conversation. You've only got a limited amount of time to be able to get through a, a catalogue like a premier sale. I'll ask a question to both of you. Louis, first, when do you start to approach this sale? When, when did your mind switch to premier sale? And then talk us through, you know, in an elevator pitch, your general attack on a sale like this in terms of inspections. For me, these sales start straight after Classic. As soon as I finish Classic, I get stuck into it. And I will, um, I will go through every pedigree page by page, one by one, and just, just highlight the pedigrees that I like and pedigrees that I don't like. And then I'm trying to come here as early as I can, and, and I always like to see every horse. Um, and, you know, it takes me a, a minute and a half to assess a horse now because I look at so many every year. I look probably 8,000 horses a year. And um, when you know exactly what you want, what you don't want, you know, you, you can be a bit picky. And there's so many horses to look at that you've got to be in, in a bit of a hurry and, and to go through. I look at 150 to 200 horses a day. But also it's, it's all about first impression, you know, like... Mm. When you know exactly what you want, so, you know some horses, that girl at the bar. Yeah, you, know, exactly. you walk in, you think Ooh. exactly that the same scenario. You know, and you can see straight away the horses that you liked. You just you just know instantly. I think. So you you mentioned pedigrees you don't like. Yeah. You still look at the horse though, right? Absolutely. So have you ever had the situation where you say, "Gee, I don't like this page, but I really like this athlete." Absolutely, absolutely. So how yeah. do you attack that? Then how do you approach that? Well, so my moral priority is. Physical is the first, most important. The attitude is the second. The pedigree, female line is probably the third. Star line, fourth, and then the farm. I like to know where, which farm I'm buying from. And so, but I'm I'm happy to buy a horse that doesn't have a lot of pedigree. 
as long as it's the right sort of. It might it might have a weak pedigree, but so, it might have a strong parts throughout its pedigree. And if the horse reminds me of those strong parts, maybe it. Um, you've just got to keep an open mind because year in year out we see twenty thousand dollar horses becoming good horses and mm. million dollar horses becoming duds. So you just got to keep an open mind, and I think you just go with your gut and and your feel and um and just it's, you you back your judgment. Craig, when you approach a yearling sale like English Premier, do you have a like a shopping list where you know clients have certain orders and you have to look for a particular type or are you more open-minded, do the catalogue, work on what you like from there? Uh, the, the, probably the two things I do statistics on coming to a sale are farms, graduates. Mm. I've heard that a bit. And uh, the other one is, is the stallion. So it's, it's an ever-evolving thing that you have to keep to after each sale. I'm continually updating it every few months about you know, trying to see where these horses are coming from yeah, you because know, there is an element out there and it probably you know, sets the agents apart where well, we have time to actually focus in on these points, whereas, say, trainers, um, syndicators, these other people in the industry that are, that are operating, you know, they're, they're focusing on other aspects uh, of their job. But we're really honing in on you know, where the good horses are coming from, where, these, where the horses that turn up on a Saturday are winning, where are they coming from, where are the stakes winners coming from. Mm. And uh, so those are the things I sort of focus on and have a priority list there. And then obviously once I get to a sale, you have different levels of clients. As I'm fortunate to have the, the contract with the Hong Kong Jockey Club, so they're looking for a certain level of cults um, and then different trainers and individual owners. So you, you have uh, you know, varying clients that uh, you know, want different styles of horses at different price points. So uh, like Louie, I look at every horse in the catalogue um, you know, firstly getting through book one, prioritising that and, and getting that organised and then moving on to book two. But, uh, you know, for me, the, the physical is extremely important because it's, you know, the, the, the trainer can't train a pedigree, can they? So yeah. um, we want to put the good type in their stable and uh, give them the best chance. And then the pedigree, you know, it, it, different clients have different appetites to what they like there. So the, but for me, there has to be some sort of genetical makeup that, gives that horse a chance to be successful too. So, uh, you know, it's like the big melting pot and you mm. take each ingredient in there and um, you know, at the end of the day you're trying to find, might not be the pretty horses, but you're trying to find the fast ones. So, uh, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. I think that younger generation of agent has probably looked more statistically at that farm aspect as well. I know one of your colleagues, Suman Hedge, has often said to me, you know, I've got this big database of who's coming off where and what level of horse and that sort of thing. And you tease that out more. It's We're in an industry where primary production right so the farm plays a big part this is the the soil the pasture everything these horses are are grown on and turned out on that's their start in life you know we're seeing them here a year down the track yeah and and the other thing to remember you know for for the the average punter out there is is a lot of these farms have big marketing budgets so they can you know glaze over on certain aspects whereas there's a couple of smaller farms that you know, they do it properly. They might not have the uh, the pedigrees, but they continue to produce good horses. Mm. And those are the gems that uh, you can find out there that are, you know, again, another advantage to using an agent that has the time to put into getting those uh, statistics and, and finding those different angles to, to find value in the market. Yeah, absolutely. If you're, gonna, if you're going to play, don't rush in. Do your homework. Make sure you align yourself with someone that's doing theirs. Well, Craig touched on the time. It's very important. I mean... Trainers have got such a huge job, you know, between tra- early track work, going to races, and it's, it's a very, very demanding job. 
there's no way a trainer who's fully committed to what he's doing properly has the time to to do what Craig and I do and or, you know we put so much time into this so we're there as a tool to assist the agent like we buy for trainers we buy for syndicators we buy for individual owners but the amount of time we put in the sales mm. we just really a, an added um, um, tool to to help tr- whoever to wants to participate to get to get better horses and, and have a better experience because Often your experience in racing is dictated by the quality of the horses you're involved with. Yeah. So if you step into the game and your first three horses are not much good, you're not going to stay very long. Where if your first couple of horses are d- decent horses and you have a bit of fun, win a few races, you're going to stick around. And so that first impre- that first experience is very important for people. Touching on what uh, Louis is saying, is it's Australia's a little bit unique in that how many sales we have. Like yeah. If you look at overseas in Europe and... Um, in America, the sales are much bigger in number and generally trainers turn up to look at shortlists. You know, they're there for a couple of days and then they're out of there. And uh, the, the way that, you know, the world continues to move is that, uh, you know, time's precious and I can continue to see that going that way in the future where, you know, these sales are getting bigger in number. I think that the bigger sales seem to be doing better and, uh, you know, I think that the role of the agent in that uh, area is going to continue to increase as time goes on. With regard to the Premier Sale coming up, have either of you got a first season stallion or a local stallion, a Victorian stallion? Because there are, you know, it's a Victorian sale, there's a lot more of them in the market here that has caught your eye without giving away any, you know, lot numbers or anything like that that you might have uh, your eye on or be particularly sweet on? Craig, is there a stallion that's caught your eye? Is their progeny across the ground? The, the new one that um, continues to bob up for me, you know, whether whether I buy one or not, it's um, impending. They all, um, you know, show a bit of quality and they all mm. move well and sort of continue to... I like to look at the horse before I look at the page when it comes out and, you know, that first impression it continues to bob up where you're like, oh, another impending. Another impending. So um, he's just one. And not, not to say that... Uh, yeah, they're going to be fast on that trade alone, but it, it is a good sign. You know, it's um, it's a it's a positive aspect, that's for sure. They may not be fast, but Louis, they might look good walking around the mounting yard. They might suck a few punters in as well when they get to the track. <laughs> what about you? Have you have you picked one out? I would um, actually, uh, I would agree with Craig on impending because it's really the first sale that I've seen many, um, and uh, I'm I was quite impressed with a few invaders as well at the Gold Coast. Yeah, they were they made incredible money, the nice ones, and so. He was a he was a fast, uh, very well bred son of Schnitzel um, with with a good pedigree. So who knows where the next good stand is going to come up? Um, hopefully, it's as good a generation as the previous one. The current uh, two year old, uh, the first season Salis is looking very impressive. Incredible, isn't it? Like those, um, particularly you look at a farm like Newgate that's got you know they're over endowed really with that quality in that first season. It's a great thing for the market because if you don't. If you can't afford, you know, the big banging, let's say, capitalists for, for argument's sake, now there'll be something else that's had good numbers of, of first season winners that's shown enough promise at a different level that you can say, well, you know, we can't afford up there, but gee, this guy's going all right as well. He's had a stakes winner. He's had eight, nine, ten winners. Gives gives the whole market a chance, which I think is something we've been lacking a bit, Craig, in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. And a big part of uh, most of the Federation's businesses too is, is handling, uh, you know, matings for stud farms yeah. and... And owners, and it's looking at the yearling sales and, and getting a read on type of these new stallions, and, and even those first year stallions, and 
and having the, the, the archives we have to, to see what the good horses look like from those stallions, we can alter our matings and it's, a, it's an important part of the business and other service that um, you know, it's a valuable one we provide. Gentlemen, it's an exciting time for Victorian breeding with the Premier Sale upon us, but you know we're sort of in that midway mark now, getting towards Easter and the yearling sale season, so plenty of work ahead of both of you. But thanks for joining us for the, the first episode of The Shortlist. I thought it went rather well. We might be on the top of iTunes after this, <laughs> somewhere you never thought you'd be. Well, thanks very much for your time, Mick. It's good to... Um, we're really keen to give the Federation a voice and to lead by example and to... you unite all the members and it's it's great to to have your help and um thanks very much there's a lot of uh you know a lot of developments coming up for the fbaa we've got a uh, new website in the swings it's uh not far from coming out a new logo and and uh you know within the organization we're not resting on our laurels we've uh, we've introduced these new uh code of ethics membership criteria and uh, we're currently now just undertaking a membership audit of the current members to make sure that they do comply with the, the current uh, membership. And there's also a lot of new uh, members wanting to join. So uh, it's exciting times for the Federation moving forward. And um, you know, I think we're all excited coming into the sales. Absolutely. It's terribly exciting time. Looking forward to the next episode of The Shortlist. To everyone listening, thank you very much for listening. Mick Sharkey here thanking Craig Roundsville and Louis Lemaitre. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being a part of it, guys.